Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. So good. Yeah, really, um, it's uh, part of our vision, part of as we come out of COVID. Oh, good morning. I'm Andrew, if I didn't say that. Um, is as a church family to be investing as the way in which we're followers of Jesus across our, our whole church family. So, um, you know, born out of conversation with new wine, I hasten to add, and uh, a real set, a spirit of uh, togetherness on it. Um, uh, we, we just feel that we need to invest in each other as followers of Jesus. And so we're excited about all the dimensions of it. Um, we do need a house for the community bit. We didn't say that. Um, we will rent a house, um, of course, if we need to. But uh, it'd be lovely if you, know, if you know anyone who either rents out property or might be able to help us with that. We've got some long-term vision around that, which we'll, we're excited about. But in the shorter term, we believe that God is calling us to do this. And we want to put our money where our mouth is. And that's our money. It's your money, my money, the money that we give, as Nick, as Nick said. These things only happen. We only have team. We only have the opportunity of houses because, thank you, your generosity. So we're excited about that. So um, I wonder if you agree with uh, the person who said that guests uh, are like fish. They, uh, they stink after three days. Or uh, the most welcome guest is the one who knows when it's time to go home. I wonder if you agree with those. We're doing a, a series about the values and the, the practical, biblical, outworking, understanding as followers of Jesus of hospitality. And I need to really wave the potential hypocrite card. This is, this is an uncomfortable uh, little talk for me to give, sermon for me to give, because I know that you could very, very easily at the end of it point out to me how I don't practice what I preach or I'm about to preach. I, I suspect the same might be true of some of us uh, and we would be really open, I think, to people challenging us on this. And that's why we need to talk about it. That's why we need to go into it. I, I do have uh, a sense of how the Lord, how God wants to use this uh, to really help us and to, and, and to bless us. So be encouraged by that. But um, let's, uh, you know, I really want to own for myself that I don't practice what I'm about to preach. But I still feel I need to share it. And, and then ask God to help me help us. Um, so we're in this series on, on hospitality. And today our, our, our title is How Hospitality, the Biblical Understanding, the Practice Have to Flow from the Heart. That's what, we're, that's what we're on today. And I'd love to use Luke 10, 38 to 42. It's a, a really well-known little um, story about when Jesus made a visit to a house where people were going to be his real strong friends right the way through his whole life. It's a place called Bethany, um, and it was the house of two people, Martha and, and Mary, and you'll, you'll know the story. So let's just read the story. It's quite brief. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Let's pop that up on the, up on the screen, and I'm going to need to look up here because I think I've got a different version, I've just realised. Anyway, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I have several translations of the Bible. You'll be pleased to know. It's always good to read more than one translation. And I brought a slightly different one with me today. Now, I know that I am slightly using this passage uh, to, to, to make a particular point today. And I know that this passage is about more, certainly, than what I'm going to share about. And, and actually, in some ways, the one thing, the most important thing, isn't really, in a sense, the absolute crunch of the passage. But as with so many things about Jesus' life, as we read uh, God's Word, as we read the Bible, we actually find richness. It's, a, it's like an onion layer, isn't it? It's why we always open our Bibles, I hope, um, however long we've been studying them, because God's word is living. Holy Spirit, God with us now, inspired the writing. The Holy Spirit inspires the reading. So we open God's word uh, because then God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. So I just want to acknowledge and say, don't miss the significance in the story of Mary adopting the posture of a learner at the feet of a rabbi. Don't miss that. It's really significant. Only men in this culture were allowed to do what Mary just does. And Jesus does not admonish her. He does not say, Mary, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't miss the significance of it. Anyone who ever suggests that the Bible is unaware and, and, and really very powerful about women's place and role in church life, notice that. Very, very significant detail. Secondly, we need to recognise and acknowledge that this passage is massively significant for our thinking about dwelling at the feet of Jesus. So Mary adopts this posture and we'll know from the story, we'll know the point is really well made. Many of us perhaps have considered this over the years. There is this thing about stopping and being at the feet of Jesus. We've mentioned rule of life already, the practices, the habits that we have. I, I really pray that um, unless you're able to, to come and really tell me uh, differently, I really pray that, like me perhaps, you've recognised that your own daily habits and practices have been under massive strain through COVID. That we have learned as followers of Jesus that the primary place of our equipping and our teaching and our training is not on a Sunday morning. It never was, by the way. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, an hour of our time, an hour and a half, whatever, 20 minute talk, whatever length of talk, 40 minutes when I get going, you know what I mean. That's important and significant and we're called to gather around God's word. However, it never has been actually the primary way in which we get equipped and we learn to follow Jesus and we do our following. It's always been our personal practices. It's what you do tomorrow morning, Monday morning, yourself in your own home. It's what you do in your own home. So that's why we talk about rule of life and rule of life is the structure, the pattern. And the point is, I hope you've heard it. I hope you're going to hear it again now. We all have a rule of life already. 
We all have habits already. We definitely, all of us who are followers of Jesus, have got habits about our following. The question is whether they're healthy or not. The question is whether they've been up to the job during COVID or not. And if the answer is not, if the answer is we've, we've learned nothing else, we've learned that we need to be equipping, it's why we're doing the form thing, it's why we're going to have the join-in track, it's part of the story is how we learn together and get equipped in that way. But what also are our practices to dwell at the feet of Jesus? Let's not miss that from this story. But friends, what I want to draw out of the story or let the story just point us to is the radical understanding of hospitality, which is fundamental to the Bible, fundamental, therefore, to uh, the life of Jesus, fundamental, therefore, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus now. The radical understanding that is well beyond dinner party hospitality. It's into that understanding of hospitality that that reflects the very heart of God that we see in Jesus because Jesus is God fully revealed to us. So we see it in the heart of Jesus that Jesus shares and models with his first followers that we are called to share and model as followers today. And frankly, I don't. As I should. Which is why I had to wave that card at the beginning and recognise my own regulated discipleship rather than radical discipleship. And by the way, I'm not trying to do the preacher's trick of kind of lower the bar so low that you will finish this by saying, no, Andrew, you're much better than that. Oh, no, you were really hard on yourself. You don't need to be that. You know, I've seen I'm not doing that. I am wanting to be real with you about the fact that I don't at this point live out what I think Jesus modelled and talked about throughout his life and reflects the fundamental character and heart of God. Last week, I've just read from Luke chapter 10, last week, Hill's kicking off this series on hospitality, used the parable story, and there's a, a picture by, of, of a sculpture by Charlie Mackesy, uh, the, the picture of the, the lost son, the prodigal son, or as many people say, I think it's better actually titled the forgiving father, the story of the father who loved his child so much that when the child did the unspeakable thing of saying, can I have my inheritance, which by the way was the absolute lifeblood of this family, can I take the first fruits of our family and can I go off with it? And the father said, yes, completely the opposite of what any dad actually would have said in that culture in that day. Just such a... a foolish thing to do in a sense, such, a, such an outrageous thing for the father to say yes to. How dare you, other neighbours could have said, how dare you, you know, put your whole family at risk by saying yes to this request. But the dad says yes. The son goes off. The son, if you know the story, Luke chapter 15, ends up in such a state of despair, having squandered the lot, 
um, eating pig swill. No worse situation could be imagined for a person in the culture at the time. Uh, but with little hope and expectation set at the lowest possible bar of just being able to creep into the edge of the household, the, the oikos, the wider household of servants and others, but in the story, let's just see the picture again. In the story, the dad is waiting, the dad runs, the dad embraces, the dad welcomes back. Have you experienced the hospitality of the king? That was the question, isn't it? God, throughout scripture, is laying out a banquet table. God is, is, first of all, laying out in the Old Testament the, the banquet table on the, the hillside. The psalmist talks about this. And then through the New Testament, Jesus is laying out the banquet table, the wedding at Cana miracle. Uh, one of the first miracles recorded, certainly by John, as being the first of the laying out the banquet table, the picture of heaven in Scripture of, of a banquet table. Have you experienced the hospitality of the king, the greatest, the ultimate host? That's, that's the root of our thinking about any outworking of hospitality. Do you remember meals as a child? I do. Do you remember meals at a child where, as a child where you didn't have to go to bed? You were allowed to stay up and join the table. Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe not everyone in this room, not everyone online will have had that experience. I'm sorry, I know there are people here perhaps not had that experience of family, but... You might even just be able to connect with it as the thought. Do you remember those meals? When you were allowed to be at the big table. No longer were you on the little rickety card table in the kitchen, you know, stuck out there sitting on a bench or a dog kennel or whatever. You, you know, you were allowed at the big table at the feast. Just something of that sense. But the problem here, as Jesus comes and, and enters this home and there's hospitality, the problem here is that Martha is distracted. Isn't so that the story of Mary and Martha is not saying that practical hospitality is not a good thing. Plenty of other times Jesus talks about practical hospitality. Jesus you know, endorses and welcomes. And Martha, in many ways, is not doing the wrong things, actually, in one sense, except that she is distracted by her worries. To the point that she breaks the rules of the culture and seeks to embarrass her sister Mary in front of everyone. That's how bad it was. That's how distracted from the one thing, from the heart of the thing that Martha had got. I, I, I've got a really bad habit of a kind of, um, sometimes if I've got people in my family that I want to do things, I've got a sort of passive aggressive, you know, a kind of, I wonder if X is ever going to help rather than just, could you help? I, I don't know about, do you, do you, ever, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Have you ever tried to embarrass, if you have a brother or a sister, have you ever tried to embarrass them in front of guests to make your point? It's what Martha does. Martha comes over and says, Lord, Lord, do, do you not care that Mary is not helping? 
The word translated as distracted in, in verse 40 of the reading means being pulled, dragged in different directions. And the result is that Martha's heart becomes hardened to the purpose, to the thing she should be focused on, the guest, and becomes all about the peripheral. She loses the point that the focus of hospitality is on the guest, the one being welcomed. I think it's really important when you read the Bible and you read Jesus and you, you hear the words of God through Jesus that you, you think about the tone of voice. I think the tone of voice you hear when you hear Jesus in lots of the stories talking to people is heavily influenced by your upbringing, is heavily influenced by your experience of church and church leadership. So when you hear Jesus say, Martha, Martha, what tone of voice do you hear? I think when I, as I was growing up, not because of any fault with those speaking, but I think in my own heart, I quite often heard um, a rebuking tone in Jesus' voice. I wonder, as I've read it again and thought about it again, whether actually it's a tone, though, that has more of a sense of invitation in it. It's why, actually... I think I can even dare to stand and give this talk with my hypocrisy about this thing of hospitality. Because I think I hear God expressing an invitation to me and to us. Andrew. Andrew. Yeah, you're right. You're not living fully all in, all out for me as a follower of Jesus when it comes to this thing of hospitality. But here's the invitation to change. You see, Jesus says the one thing that Mary's focused on dwelling at his feet is because it's about hearts. And this thing of biblical hospitality, when we want to live out, when we want to say, how does that image of God, that picture of God that we have through Scripture, of, you know, expressed in this father's embrace around a, a lost child, or, or when we think about the table being laid out, when we think about Jesus at the Last Supper, giving food and, and welcoming Judas, who had betrayed him, when we think about what that looks like, when we think about it for ourselves, when I hear this story of Mary and Martha, what took it to me is because I know it's a thing of the heart. I know that it's just the heart. Someone's phone is reading the story for us again. <laughs> you see, because it's only a heart work that will break through the busyness of my life that stops me being hospitable in this way. I have a regulated hospitality. I have slots in my diary when I could accommodate you. But I'd rather you didn't pop round tomorrow night because I'm busy. And of course, that's just being wise, isn't it? That's, it's okay. That's just me being wise in the management of my time, isn't it? 
partly. Partly true. Not completely true. What has COVID done to me, to us, to our sense of society? Do you feel an entitlement for a holiday? Do you feel it's okay to be a little bit more selfish, perhaps, just for a short period of time? Because we've all given so much, haven't we? Do you feel that we really ought to make sure everyone in the UK is vaccinated before we send any vaccines to anywhere else? I do not underestimate the degree to which that is a political big P, small P statement. I do not for a moment underestimate the nuance and the challenge in coming to an answer to that question. But I know in myself part of my answer to, well, wouldn't it make sense to do our own population first, is not entirely driven by good thoughts, good heart. When people say charity begins at home, I know that's partly true, but I also know it's partly untrue. You look in your own mirror, don't look in my mirror, but when I look in the mirror, I know that I have some conflicted hearts around these things. Hills last week was pointing out to us that that radical biblical hospitality is to prioritise the other. It's to prioritise the guest. It's, it's to prioritise actually those who we don't necessarily naturally, instinctively invite round for a meal. It's, to, it's within our own church family to, to connect across our church family, people we don't know. I said to the team before we gathered, as we gather outside for prayer, I said, this day, be honest with people and say, if I don't remember your name, I don't remember your name. And then it's beyond. It's our community of members of Trinity who come and connect with us through, through Transform Ministry during the week. It's, it's, it's the refugee. It's the stranger. It's the, the different. It, we're, in a, we're in a society where, where there's othering, othering of others. Social media is such a horrible thing. We all know it's horrible, but don't pretend we're not influenced by it just as much as others are influenced by it. I know that in myself I am conflicted. I know that when I look at the radical hospitality that is the nature and the character and the heart of God, when I know that he has made space at his table for me, I know that I don't fully live this out. So I know it's a heart work, not tips, not practicalities that's the issue. I know it's a heart work that's needed in me and I wonder if it's a heart work that's needed in us. Because I think only God can break down the kinds of barriers that I've alluded to. And you maybe could add more to the list. Here are three things that I think we need out of a heart work. Thanks, Cheryl, you're doing such a good job keeping up with me. I think, I think true radical hospitality can only come from an overflowing sense of generosity. 
whose garden is it? It's not my garden. Well, actually, it isn't my garden. I have the pleasure of living in a house provided to me, so it's perhaps... But it's not my garden. It wouldn't ever be my... Whose stuff is it? It's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. Whose money is it? It's not my money. I'm only stewarding it. That overflowing sense of generosity, which carries with it responsibility to use God's resources well. Stewardship has all the dimensions about wise use as well as generous use. It's more complicated, not less complicated. This is not a simplistic talk. This is a talk saying we need the Holy Spirit. We need God to give us wisdom. But we need a sense of overflowing generosity. We need to want to give away. I once used the analogy in a youth talk about, you know, feeling it's a bit like a toilet. Every time you flush, you, you know, God fills it up again if the water's flowing. We need to flush more you want to take away from this talk. <laughs> Romans 12, 13, Paul talks about eagerness at every opportunity. I'm not eager at every opportunity for hospitality. Sometimes I just think I'm too tired. I think I've been working. And by the way, I've been working for you, God. So look, I get a bit. Of... Paul says, be eager at every opportunity. Wow, do I need a heart job for overflowing generosity? God is, God is in many ways, when you look through scripture, wasteful. The parable of the sower throws out all of that seed, knowing that much of it will not land in good soil, but doesn't stop God throwing out the seed. The gospel is wasteful, to use a human way of thinking about it. Am I regulated in my hospitality or am I overwhelmingly generous? I'd, I'd, I'd like to be accused of being wasteful, not accused of being safe. Spiritual awareness, spiritual attentiveness. I'm blinkered. I have to recognise I'm blinkered by my, my faults and my sin. I'm blinkered by the way the world tries to shape me. I don't see the needs. I don't see the opportunities that God is presenting, I believe, fully. It's a heart job to give that spiritual awareness. And then the third one, it's obviously all about love. It's about servant love. It's about a Jesus love. It's about, as I've said, a Jesus who gives hospitality to the one who had betrayed him at the table. It's foot washing. I haven't got time this morning, but if I was to talk about race, if I was to talk about what it means to be aware of myself as a white, middle-class, educated, privileged man, and the things that I just take for granted, I've never thought about, but people of other races can't take them for granted. I know how to navigate my way into lots of social situations. I don't find it hard. If those barriers are to be overcome, if I'm going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. When it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to orientation, so many discussions which have so much nuance and so much stuff we need to be wise about and go into. But I know something about it is I'm not living the radical way that Jesus calls me to live. We had a lady in our last church in Aylesbury. I hope I'm not going to offend you, Sheila, if you're watching. Sheila, um, Sheila's a strong personality. Uh, Sheila's a character. I love you, Sheila, so much. Um, Sheila says it how it is. Sheila's, I love you, Sheila, not always the easiest person. But Sheila was sweeping the steps of our church one day and she saw a guy walking along um, uh, 
mixed complexion, mixed colour guy, um, walking along, got chatting to him. She's just sweeping the steps. Hi, who are you? Finds out that he's from Syria, finds out that he's got nowhere to live. So she took him home and put him up. Len, her husband, you're a saint. She just took him home and put, and he lived with them for about six months. I can't hand on heart tell you that I would do that, but I wish I would do that. Here's the good news, I think, to finish. The good news is why I can stand here and even talk about this and say things like that is because the good news is the Father has this heart and wants us to share in this heart. Let's put the Maccasee picture up one more time. God, this is the heart of God, and God wants us to share this heart. So we're already in the flow. As soon as we say, I want to be able to say yes to this, God will do the heavy lifting. God has the power to, to defeat the forces that are against this happening. That God has the power to defeat the barriers that would prevent me, Andrew, and us, Trinity, being the kind of radical community where Syrian refugees walking past get invited by one of the people in our church who might not always be the easiest for us to get on with, be invited and end up living in their home. And by the way, that Syrian refugee is now qualified as a doctor. Didn't tell you that at the beginning because it would have made the story... You know, that's, in a sense, not the point. But God will do the heavy lifting. God has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, to be our counsellor and our guide, to live out this kind of radical, radical hospitality if we want to say yes. And the Holy Spirit does a heart job. It's an inside-out job. Here's my just little cartoon. It's an inside-out job. It's not the peripherals. It's not going away from this and trying to make a bit more space in our diary. It's just saying, God, I know that you're touching me. I know that you're calling me to live more radically, to, to practice true hospitality. And I need you today to help me be attentive, to see opportunities, to grab some opportunities. And the lovely thing is, the economy of the kingdom of heaven is that small things grow to make a massive difference. So wherever this starts, a phone call to someone you haven't seen for a long time, a going for a coffee with someone you haven't seen, deliberately spending two or three minutes longer chatting in the street. Yes, perhaps having more people around for food. Yes, opening your home. Wherever it starts for you, if you start in God's kingdom economy, that will grow and flourish into the most amazing things. And that's actually why I dare to give this talk. I'm hoping for enough strength to do a few more small things that God will water and grow in my life. And I pray in our life. Let's stand if we're able to.